Well, good morning again, Harmony. Good morning. As you can tell, we are getting ready for Vacation Bible School. Um, although Alan gets into this stuff, so he's talking about building sets for like every sermon series that I have. Um, the good thing is, is as you guys can see from Ephesians, that probably only be like two a year because it takes me that long to get through just a simple book. Um, but I am very excited that we have this coming up this week. If you're here and you're going to be helping out, it's going to be Monday through Friday from 6.30 to 8.30. Uh, for those that are going to be volunteering in specific positions, if you guys can hang out for a few minutes after service. Uh, for those that bought shirts, we have the shirts. Uh, for those that lost their schedules, I have schedules. Uh, we just want to make sure we sync up with everybody and that everybody's on the same page and understands what's going to happen for us this week. Besides VBS, Saturday, we have our water day, so it's kind of a fun day for the kids to come out. We'll have water balloons, we'll have water slides, we'll have slip and slides. Uh, we're also having the kids out from the San Antonio Children's Shelter. So they're going to take a field trip, come on out here, hang out with us, have some fun. Uh, we'll have hot dogs, chips, it'll be a nice fun day. And then Sunday, we have family worship. Uh, so everybody will be in here together. So just kind of keep those dates in mind as we're moving through things. It's going to be an awesome week. If you can't be here, pray for us. Hope it goes well. Hope, hope that we uh, reach kids with the Word of God and that we really encourage them. Um, I wanted to bring up one thing that's not about directly about the sermon, but I've heard a few comments about this lately, so I just wanted to address it. I am not trying to become a hip pastor. Okay, people have commented that I'm not wearing dress slacks and that I'm not wearing a jacket anymore, and I, I promise you this is a temporary thing because simply as I'm losing weight, I no longer have clothes that fit me. I kind of feel like a TV character. I wear the same four outfits every week and pretty much on the exact same days. Uh, we learned as I was on this journey that I was losing too fast to go buy new stuff because then I would not be able to wear it within like three, four weeks. So we're just going to hold out with jeans for a while, all right? So uh, calm down. And then in a couple months, when we're all done, we'll go back to jackets, all right? So just bear with me on this journey. I have no desire to be a skinny hip pastor, okay? My desire is to be a skinny nerd pastor just like I was before. All right, that is the only desire I have in my heart. All right, let's jump into the word. Ephesians, we're in chapter 6, we're in the armor of God. So we've been talking about Ephesians now, it probably feels like for all of 2017. We've broken it down into a few sections. We said chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians focused on Paul reminding Christians of who they are. You were a sinner, you were facing death. You had a wonderful God who came and sent his son. That son died on the cross for you. And through that death, he washed you clean of your debt. And not only did he wash you clean of your debt, he raised you to the position of royalty in heaven. You now are a child of God. You are brother and sister with Christ. So that was chapters 1 through 3. Then in chapters 4 and 5, he goes, if that's true, if that's you, if Christ lives in you, then brothers and sisters, there's a way to live and there should be a pathway to where you're going. And so he starts to talk about how we live life. He talks about sexual morality. He talks about marriage. He talks about raising children. He talks about how you work. Why? His point is, is if God lives in you, man, it should change the way you look. If God is alive in you, if the awesome, almighty creator of the universe, if the being of unbelievable forgiveness and love resides in you, there's no way to hide that. And if on the outside people look at you and they can't tell anything different about you, except that you, with your words, proclaim to be a Christian, 
Well, then, brothers and sisters, we need to look at ourselves in the mirror and we'll ask ourselves, what's happening with the relationship? So then he comes to the final chapter, and in chapter 6, he kind of goes and grabs him by the collar and shakes him a bit. And he goes, you've been equipped, you've been empowered, but remember, you're at war. You have an enemy who is powerful, and he has one focus, and that is to devour and to destroy you day in and day out. And so he tells the Christians, don't be shocked by this. Don't be, don't be afraid when you get hit. Don't be curious when bad days happen. Don't wonder why negative things happen in your life. You're at war. You live behind enemy lines, and you have a powerful enemy coming at you. God promises that you'll be empowered, you'll be equipped, and you'll be victorious. But you're still at war. And so in Ephesians chapter 6, he starts to break down this armor that we're supposed to equip ourselves with. Now throughout this series, I've been saying there's one key verse, not in Ephesians, I wanted you to think about. Everybody remember it? You've heard it 25 times in a row now. John 15, 5. It's this beautiful analogy of how God works in us. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus' point, the ideals that I set for you are impossible by the standards of man. You cannot live up to God's standards in your own power, in your own love, in your own forgiveness, in your own grace. But you can if it's Christ fueling you. If it's God's love, God's power, God's forgiveness, like that vine pouring into you that is simply a branch, then all these things become reachable and possible. And so that has to be the focus of our lives, is that each and every day we wake up not with the focus of, hey God, when I get to the end of my rope, will you bail me out? But go, no God, from day one, from the first breath I take this morning, may it be within your will. Father, may I come to you first and foremost to drive me throughout my day. And to be honest, brothers and sisters, this is a huge point. It's huge. Because there is a whole subset of what we would call Christianity that are people that have no desire to fall on their knees before the Lord God Almighty and say, Father, show me your will, I'll do it. We have a large subset in American Christians who their whole desire is, God, here's my will. Use your powers to bless it. Brothers and sisters, that is not biblical Christianity. That is not a relationship that God ever describes within those pages. If you are going to God going, here's my wish list, make it happen, do not expect any of those things to happen in your life. Because you're not driving. He is. And so, John 15, 5 points us to that. He's the source of power. He's the source of wisdom. He's the source of knowledge. We are the recipients of it, and we gladly produce the fruit that He generates within our hearts. That has to be the way we think about this. Jump with me. Let's go ahead and remember where we were. Open up to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6, we started talking about this armor that we're supposed to put on. And so last week we looked at the first piece of it. And it was the belt of truth. Now when we look at that word truth, what it really focuses on is not so much biblical truth. That will be addressed later in the sword of the spirit. The truth that's being talked about in the belt is an attitude. It's a commitment. See, back in these days when you wore a belt, you had this long flowing tunic. 
And what the belt did is you would bring your tunic up, you'd wrap it up, and you'd strap it with the belt. And what that showed everybody is you were either ready to fight, you were ready to travel, or you were going to do some hard labor. You were throwing off the excess baggage, you were making yourself streamlined and agile, and you were ready to move. And so the point of the belt of truth is twofold. One, get rid of the excess baggage. You can't be running a good race wearing a backpack and dragging all your stuff with you. If you got a race to run and you got to win, you get rid of all the non-essentials, you get in as little as possible, and you get ready to move. The second thing about the belt of truth was the strap that comes across your chest. And so this second part that came across the chest was more for your mentality than it was for function. The strap that came across the chest had emblems and reminders of the battles and victories that you'd already been in, that you'd already been victorious in. And so the point of this belt becomes twofold. One, I am committed, I have put away all the baggage, and I'm ready to move. Second, in my attitude, I remember all the previous victories my God has given me. So I stand here confident, not just because I think I can win in the future, but because I remember all the victories that God has had before me. Just like David said when he stood in front of Goliath, the God that delivered me, the bear and the lion, will deliver me this Philistine. David had already seen worse and gone, I'm not scared of this. My God has accomplished far greater than this, and he'll do more today as well. And so when you put on that belt of truth, you're saying, I'm ready for the fight, I'm ready to move, and man, I remember my God. He is not going to let me down. So let's look at the second part here. Ephesians 6.14 Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So we're now to the second piece of armor, right? So we've talked about, we first have this belt, I'm ready, I remember my past victories, now I put the breastplate on. Now for the Roman soldier, the breastplate was important because it covered two essential areas. And think, even to this day, we still do this. If you go see a soldier in body armor, they're not covering their arms and legs, what are they covering? They're covering abdomen up to their, their neck. Why? You don't want anything happening to the heart, you don't want to have anything happen to the lungs, and you don't want to have anything happening to the bowels. You want all this stuff to stay good because if this stays strong, if this stays right, your chances of survival are high. Now what's interesting is Hebrews had a slightly different way of thinking about how the body worked. So you and I, when we talk about thinking, we think of the brain. We think of the head. Well, for them, thinking came from the heart. The heart was the place of thought. The bowels, your gut, was the place of feelings. And so when Paul is talking about this and he's saying, put on the breastplate of righteousness, he's saying, I want you to protect your thoughts and I want you to protect your feelings and I want those things to be centered and focused in the righteousness of God. Now, brothers and sisters, to be honest, this is one of the things that we probably let go the most in our culture. We have focused so much lately on the grace of God. And when we say grace of God, what we mean by that is we have a God who is unbelievably forgiving. We have a God who is always ready to look past our sins, to look past our shortcomings, to look past the things that we've done wrong, and to lift us back up, wash us off, and give us new opportunity. But there are some of us who are now taking that for granted. 
There is a difference between me running as fast and as powerfully as I can towards my Lord and sometimes falling and slipping, sometimes getting knocked off course, and each time I do that, correcting and getting back on track versus me going, you know what, it doesn't really matter. I don't even think I'm going to go down this path. You know, I know God wants me to go this way, but this way looks like more fun. Now, this is the way I want to go. And for some of us, what we've missed is, is while we are never going to be saved by the things that we do, the things that we do should reflect who we are. So I don't behave righteously, I don't behave holy to earn salvation. But if salvation is something that I've already been given, it should be motivating me to live holy and righteously. And some of us, what we're doing is going, God will forgive. God will see past that. God will wash me clean. When you do that, you take for granted the gift He gave and you call into question, do you even understand it? He died to give you that righteousness. And yet you so freely throw it away. If you can do that with ease and comfort, then that reflects that there might be something wrong in your heart. There might be something wrong in your relationship with God. And so think about this breastplate of righteousness that we put on. There's a couple things I want us to focus on when we talk about the breastplate. The first is, this righteousness cannot be yours. It has to be God's. Look at what God says throughout Scripture about your own personal righteousness. Isaiah 64, 6. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. What's God saying about you? Every single one of you, even the best of you, is a dirty garment. Every single one of us. Every single one of us, no matter how impressive we think we are, no matter how holy, righteous we think we are, if we are just standing on our own resume, if we are just standing on the list of our own accomplishments, all the things that we could ever list, do you know what they sum up to? Sinner. That's all that will ever be seen. You can list out every good thing you've ever done and what the headline of the resume would still say is Lou Gradeless, Sinner. And sin equals death. And so we have to remember that no matter how impressive we think we are, at the end of the day, there's only two categories. The saints who know Christ and the sinners who are separate. And if you don't know Christ and you stand in your own actions, you're in the sinner camp. We have to be aware of that. And specifically, those of you who are churched need to be careful of that. Because you know what starts to happen? Is when you first find God, you know who you are and you know who He is. Typically, when most of us find Him, we've encountered ourselves in such a way that we go, I can't do this on my own. I need a Savior. I need forgiveness. And I need someone driving me each and every moment. Because if I'm left to my own accord, it will not go well. And so most of us in that moment of salvation, we're clear on that. I have tried to do this on my own, and God, I desire not to do it anymore. Because I know where it leads. Father, please lead me. The problem is, is that the Spirit comes into your life. And as you start to change your behaviors, 
sometimes what starts to happen is you start to get impressed. You start to get impressed with yourself and you start to go, you know what? I'm kind of a good person now. Now, I go to church a lot. You know, pastor asked a question in Bible study and I knew it. And everybody was impressed that I knew it. You know, I've been serving regularly at the food bank. I helped out with the kids. You know, I think, I mean, not that I would ever do this, but if we compared the holiness of me to most of my neighbors, I think I'd be pretty high out there. In fact, I think Jesus might brag about me in heaven sometimes. We have this tendency to start thinking like this. Let me tell you a personal example of this. Um, as I've been on this weight loss journey, there are these days I wake up and I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, feeling like high school again, right? So I had one of these days where I was feeling pretty good about myself and I was like, you know what? I still have that uh, Superman skin tight Under Armour from when I was young. I'm going to put that bad boy on because I'm betting I'm looking pretty good in it. Not so much. Not so much. Skin tight really just shows everything. You know, it gives you no forgiveness. And I was like, it, it was really a helpful thing because I put it on, I'm like, whoa, got some work left to do. You know, it recentered me, it refocused me, and I was like, treadmill today. All right? Don't think you're hot stuff. Sometimes as a Christian, we need those spandex moments. Sometimes as a Christian, we need those moments where we're like, oh yeah, Mr. Holy, Mr. Holy. And then no, you really get in the presence of God and you go, never mind. Never mind. Still a sinner. Still selfish. Still egotistical. Still need God's grace. Still need His forgiveness. Still need Him leading each and every moment. Got to think that way. Look at what Romans 3.10 says. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. Who? None. None of you are righteous in and of your own works. And guys, remember this. You're coming to Jesus as a Lord and Savior. Only people who are lost, only people who are in trouble scream out for a Savior. So at any moment in your life where you think you can go, I don't need saving, what does that mean to your relationship with God? Every single moment you should go, I need a Savior. I need him as much today, I need him as much this breath as I've ever needed him before in my life. That has to be the focus. Now look at with me with Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul starts to unveil to us where our focus should be when it comes to this term righteousness. So in Philippians chapter 3, we're going to read verses 7 through 14. Whatever gain I had, and this is Paul, and let me just give you some context. Before this verse, Paul has been listing every single one of his man-made achievements. And here's why. Paul has been getting attacked by other Christian leaders that people shouldn't listen to him. They're like, Paul? You mean Saul of Tarsus, the guy who used to kill Christians? You mean the guy who used to persecute us and torment us? Why are you following him? You shouldn't follow him. And so these teachers, what they've started to do is they've started to list all of their accomplishments and go, if you want to follow a good leader, you should follow a pastor like me. Let me tell you what I've done. And so in Philippians, for one of the few and only times you'll ever see it, Paul goes, you want to compare earthly resumes? Do you really want to do that? I can compare earthly resumes. 
I was as good of a Jew as any Jew has ever been. I'm from the right family, right DNA, right tribes, with the right schooling, with the right intelligence, and I've done the right things. If you guys want to compare human resumes, I can do that. So he gives his, and then he says this. Look at verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I account everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. What's his point? His point is, guys, I just listed everything I've ever done in my life, and most people would say it was great. To me, it's rubbish. That term rubbish, is, 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 it's pretty fresh. It, it, it actually probably translates better to dung. He said, you can take all my accomplishments, everything people would plaster on their walls, and it's not worth a thing. Nothing. In comparison to me knowing Christ. All the accomplishments I could ever put on me, nothing in comparison to putting on Christ and living in His righteousness. Brothers and sisters, there's an important thing to understand about the death and resurrection of Christ and what He offers us. We sometimes miss that there's two huge things that happen. The first is, is you stood guilty. You were a sinner, and sin results in death. So Christ comes, He dies on the cross... And with that blood, he does two things. One, he uses it to wash you clean, so the debt that you owed no longer is owed. But brothers and sisters, let's be clear about something there. If I owe a million dollars, and someone walks in and pays off that million dollars, that's awesome, right? But does it make me rich? No, it just means I have zero. Now granted, zero is way better than negative a million, but it's still zero. And so Christ came in and with his death, one, washed us clean and eliminated the debt. But he didn't stop there. Sounds like an infomercial, right? But wait, there's more. If you accept Jesus in the next five minutes, you also get his righteousness. And so besides wiping the debt clean, what he did then is he said, you know what? I also pour upon you my righteousness. What that means is you used to stand cloaked in sin. And so whenever God the Father looked at you, all he saw was sinner. But now what I do is I take the righteousness that I wear that when Christ looks at Jesus, he goes, my son, my perfect, holy son, whom I love more than anything. He goes, this righteousness I wear, I now give it to you. And so from this point forward, when God the Father looks at you, not only does he not see your debt, he now sees the righteousness of Christ. When God looks at you, he sees no sin. He sees the perfection and the holiness of his son. 
How awesome. God didn't just wipe out your million dollar debt. He then made you royalty in heaven. This is where his love just becomes like, it's unbelievable to most people. Who loves like that? Who has that kind of love? And not just for strangers, but for people who were enemies. This is why God looks at you and me and goes, guys, step up the love game, man. Do you not remember? You were my enemies and I came, I paid your debt, I raised you to royalty. I expect you guys, when you walk out these walls, to be able to forgive people. I expect that you're not going to cuss out the guy who cut you off. Because my goodness, if that gets you mad, imagine how mad I was about the things you'd done to me. Yes, I imagine that you'll go out there and you'll pour out love. Why? Because it's so amazingly and freely been given to you. In high school, I played football. And I should clarify. When I say I played football, it means I practiced football for five days a week, and occasionally I'd get to be the human victory cigar. Which basically meant if I walked onto the field, it was because we had already won the game, and yes, there was a few minutes left on the clock, but really there was no threat of losing. Right? I was a wide receiver who never got thrown at, and all I ever did was block for the runners. But there was an interesting thing about playing for my high school football team that I, I enjoyed. Whenever I'd been in physical things most of my life, I never intimidated people. I know, shocking. Shocking, right? Um, but a person of my height and my muscularity, uh, my athleticism, typically when I lined up against someone, they weren't like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Right? They typically were like, all right, this is going to be a good game. Right? So it was interesting, though, because when I walked out with my football team, I noticed that people actually were intimidated. And it took me a while to realize it wasn't because of the gradeless on the back of the jersey. It was because of the eagles on the front. See, my high school football team was one of the best in the state and had been one of the best in the state for years. Every year we were in the top three or four. Especially the years I was there, we were close to being in the championship or in the championship every year. Again, not because of me, but just happened to co correlate that way. And so what was interesting is when I walked onto that field wearing that jersey, People were intimidated. And it had nothing to do with my speed, my strength, or my ability. It had everything to do with what the jersey represented. People were intimidated by my school. They were intimidated by the things my school had accomplished in the past. They were intimidated by the big old guys who were going to go play college football who were standing right next to me. That's what they were worried about. Brothers and sisters, similarly, this breastplate, besides actually protecting our thoughts and our feelings, it's also a declaration to our enemy. Think about that. Every day, he says, we have an enemy who stands on the battlefield focused on what? Devouring you. Well, brothers and sisters, if you walk out there wearing a shirt with your name on it, your armor going, bring it, he looks at you and goes, I'm going to run you down, boy. All your accomplishments, you know what they tell me? They tell you you're a sinner. And you know who I am? I'm the king of sinners. So anytime you stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with Satan in your righteousness, his eyes get big and he's excited. But the moment you take the breastplate of Christ and you put that on, and you march out onto that field, when he stands across from you, he gets scared. Because he doesn't see you anymore. He sees your father. He sees the one that tells him, run, and he runs. He sees the one that threw him out of heaven. He sees the one that defeated his death. He sees the one that wipes him out day in and day out. 
He sees the one that created him and will destroy him. And so what you and I need to think about is not only does this breastplate protect, it screams to the world, you are not messing with me, you are messing with God. It's your way of identifying you are part of His army. Now, brothers and sisters, if you've ever known a soldier, you know they focus a great deal on how their uniforms look. Their shoes are shiny, their clothes are ironed, they are straight, they are fit, and they are in form. I've heard stories from my dad about spending hours shining shoes. Now, do the military men think for any second that shiny shoes help you win a war? No. The point of it, though, is, is that when those men stand in uniform, nobody sees individuals. Everybody sees one well-organized, good-looking, strong, and forceful military. And they go, I don't know if I want to mess with that. And so, brothers and sisters, to take that analogy a further step, as a Christian, you have this breastplate. But my question becomes to you, how well are you taking care of it? See, if you wear that breastplate, but you, you get it dirty, and you get it muddy, and you let it get dinged up, and you let it lose its luster and its color and its shape, after a while, it's hard to see through all the muck to tell what it was. Kind of reminds me of my toddler, Jake. We, we dress him in the mornings in a very nice shirt. By the end of the day, all you see is everything that he has eaten and he has played with all day long. A little bit of Play-Doh, a little bit of chicken, some fruit, orange juice, whatever. You no longer see what he was actually wearing because it's just cluttered with dirt. I wonder if we could see our own breastplates of righteousness. How many of us would see the shine on it that screams, this is the family in God. And I wonder how many of us would look at it and go, I can't really tell what that is. See, brothers and sisters, what I know is in my life, I want my armor shiny. I want it shiny so if Satan's five miles away, he looks, sees the gleam off of it and he goes, uh-uh, I know that gleam. That's a soldier of Christ standing there. That's a soldier in the army of God. And I know when I go toe-to-toe -to, -to, to him, I will lose. I don't want him confused about where I stand or whose army I am on. The way we do that is by living holy. By choosing each and every day in our words and in our actions to obey God. To do as He asks. Now, brothers and sisters, the beauty of armor is it's not weak. It's tough. So if you mess up and you get a ding in it or you get hit, you'll be okay. You wipe it off. But you should have a focus and intent to every day keep it premium. Keep it right. Keep it clean. Keep it with that luster that Christ first gave it to you in. There's some of you, you're wearing the breastplate, but man, you've ignored it for a long time. And in fact, there's some of you, I think you've gotten so cocky in your comfort and your relationship with God, you're so used to having His love, you've got the armor sitting over there. And Paul's whole message in this was, guys, just because you've been given the power and you've been given the armor, doesn't mean anything if you don't use them. Remember that word I told you a couple weeks ago when he says put on, it's a one-time action. What's that mean? It means you don't wake up in the morning, put on your armor, live the day and go, you know what? I think the battle's over. Time to chill out, watch some Netflix, armor off. I'm going to relax for the next few hours and tomorrow morning I'll put it back on. 
Or you know what? You know, tomorrow's Saturday, so I'll, I'll wait till Monday to put it back on. No. The word he used is a one-time thing. You put that armor on, it never comes off. It stays on 24-7, 365, until you see your Father in heaven. That's the focus he wants. Put on the breastplate of righteousness that screams that you belong to the Father. You work each and every day to keep it holy and right. And it will scream to the world and to your enemy that you belong to him. That's the focus. Look at Romans 3.22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Man, what an honor. Have you ever thought about that? What an honor. I remember as a high school student, I was proud on Thursdays when we wore our jerseys. Every Thursday we wore our jerseys at school, and I was proud to do that. And I was proud because in those moments, I got to have the glory that I never could have earned on my own. As an adult, I go, how silly. What a cute little boy. You were proud to get glory for the fact that some kids could run around with a piece of leather on a grass field. As an adult, though, you get the honor to walk with the righteousness of God on your chest. You, with all that you've done in your life, of all the things that you've made mistakes on and messed up on, you get the honor and the ability to march out each and every day into this world in a way that people can look at you and go, Christ, and you represent Jesus. You represent the perfect, holy, loving, and almighty God. Man, what an honor that is. What a feeling that is. I was talking to a brother this week, and he was talking about how he's been growing in his life. And he said he had a family member call him because they were in strife and chaos. And they said, I want you to help me. Can you give me advice? And he said the reason they came to him is because they knew that he would pray for them and because he would share the word of God with him. When we were talking, he was like, you know what, it was such an amazing honor. He's like, don't get me wrong, like, I, I hate that he's going through this. But he goes, to think that anybody would ever go, you know what, I need God on this. I'm going to call this person. That somebody would go, I need to hear from God. I'm going to reach out to this person because I know they belong to his army. Man, what a feeling. You know what he said? He said, that feeling was one of the greatest highs he's ever had. Because he knew it was an honor he never deserved of his own. But that God had let him partake in that. What an amazing and awesome thing. Brothers and sisters, that is the opportunity that is laid at our feet. Let's be honest. The world doesn't look impressively upon most of us. At work, I am highly aware that I am a highly replaceable individual. If I would just stop showing up at work, I think there'd probably be about 48 hours of them going, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? About 72 hours in, they'd go, we're good. We're fine. In fact, if any of you have ever lost someone you love, have you ever noticed the audacity of this world to just start the next day? Right, your, your world seems to be in, in tatters. And you're going like, my world is crushed. I don't even know how to breathe right now. And yet you wake up, the sun rises, and the world just keeps moving. E even the ones that are close to you, they just keep living. And you're like, how is this? 
In fact, most of you probably have lines of people who will show up to compliment, or not compliment you, but tear you down. To tell you all the things you've done wrong, all the things you failed at, all the things you messed up at. How awesome that you have a God going. Represent me. March out in my righteousness. March out in my perfection. March out in my holiness. What an awesome gift. What an awesome, awesome gift. In a few minutes here, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. When we take this Lord's Supper, what we do is we proclaim the gospel of Christ. We remember the body that was broken and the blood that was spilt so that you and I could put this armor on. Remember the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior that He went through so that you and I could stand here in His glory. What we're going to do now is I'm going to ask Maria to come up and we're going to sing a hymn. If you've got something on your heart that you need to pray about, I encourage you to come forward either pray with me or Brother Joe. Or if you want to go to the back, Brother James will be back there. And as we're preparing, praying, just prepare yourself. Prepare yourself, one, with your relationship with God. Two, prepare yourself to take the, the, the Lord's Supper. God encourages us when we take the supper to remember a couple things. One, it is something that is simply for believers. Because this isn't bread and juice. It's the proclamation of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It is the proclamation that He is our Lord and He is our Savior. Second thing He says is that when you take it, you make sure you have a clear conscience. If there is sin in your life that you have not laid at His feet, you lay at His feet. You ask for forgiveness and you commit to repent. And third, he says, if you have some angst between you and another brother in the faith that you haven't fixed, before you take the bread and the wine, you make that right first. Because he wants that when you come to this table, that you come to it as a child of God who has no guilt in their heart, but as somebody that is completely focused on proclaiming the gospel of God. Please stand with me. Let's sing, let's pray, and let's prepare.